0: May the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Saturday mornings, my family has what we like to call a spectator sport. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Saturday mornings are normally are, a lot of the time, nothing's going on. And we have lazy mornings, watch some cartoons, and then we have some pancakes and some sausage. And the boys have really come to like it. But as we will open our, in our dining room, we will open the curtains as we are eating our breakfast most Saturday mornings, at least during the season, and my neighbor across the way, right outside of our window, right across the street, has one of these big, luscious orange trees that has been there for for probably a number of years. This morning in the sermon, I called it an orange bush. And a true Floridian told me, that is not a bush, that's a tree. So I have corrected it for tonight. But the the important thing is when when the oranges that grow on this tree are in season, they grow really, really big. Bigger than anything what you see in the store normally and the taste of these oranges. This tree is just dialed in. Um, and, And this is the spectator sport that I mentioned is that Every now and again, you know, people will be outside walking their dogs or jogging and they will come upon this tree and we will watch as they look and pause and then you see them look around like if anybody's watching and they're, they're, they're contemplating, would it be wrong if I went up and took one of those oranges or a few and then went on, my, on their merry way? And, of course, we, one day we were joking with our kids about one day we, maybe we'd be outside and we could, we could give them a hard time about if they were going to take the oranges or not. And one day we didn't, we didn't see this coming, but my uh, little four-year-old actually took, it, took that serious. And all of a sudden we saw that same thing happening on a Saturday morning and they, they looked around. They went up to grab one of the oranges, and my four-year-old was having none of it. He went to the window and was banging, and then this got the seven-year-old. The other one's like, let's go get them. And so they opened the front door, and they started yelling at them, leave those oranges alone. And of course, we had to tell them. the neighbor said that they actually said anybody can have those oranges. So, So calm down. Be a little nicer to people. And of course, it was a funny thing. But I thought that was a funny story to tell as an illustration to really get us into the profound message that we hear Jesus teach on Jesus being the true vine, God being the vine grower, and we being the branches. And I wanted to just tell that story because sometimes these metaphors that Jesus Jesus uses throughout all of scripture to to explain who he is and his identity, his divine nature, and how sometimes we can struggle with the different, uh, as to what stirs up our affections, Uh, sometimes we can struggle with the the different uh, ways that Jesus uses. But I wanted, no matter if you are inclined and are a gardener, or if other metaphors tell you more about Jesus In this I am statement, I am the true vine, there is a profound message waiting for all of us. Let us start contextually, and this is important, and we'll come in towards the end of the sermon. This is actually happening. Jesus is giving this teaching. They are in the upper room, finishing John 14, and in the start of the 15th chapter, it says they're giving up, and they're heading towards the garden of And when they are there, Judas will betray Jesus and Jesus will be arrested, taken to his his trial and then hung on the cross. So this teaching is happening right before things are about to fall apart for Jesus, and for the disciples. And of course, after the resurrection, they would come to know it even better, but you'll see why contextually knowing what's leading into verse one that we have in chapter 15 of John tonight, why it is such a profound message for us all. So we hear right off of the bat, I am the true vine. As Jesus is is saying this, and God is the vine dresser. Now, this is just wrought with all kinds of Old Testament. There are several different, Isaiah 5 probably being the most popular, but in the Old Testament, there is God's vineyard and the nation of Israel that is the vine from that vineyard in which that God is supposed to use the nation of Israel to show himself to the rest of the world and the nation of Israel is supposed to bring forth and produce much fruit. And in the Old Testament, there is a negative connotation as the nation of Israel could seemingly not live into these promises of bearing fruit. And so the negative connotation being some, some judgment. And Jesus actually, in this teaching to the disciples, saying, I am the true vine is actually Jesus taking away the frustration, all the work and all of the trying to do it in their own power, Israel, and then failing time after time again, What we have in Jesus saying, I am the true vine, he is redeeming the people of Israel. And saying, I am the one, the true vine, that that through my cross and after the resurrection, that I will redeem you as the nation of Israel. No longer walking in a negative or a frustrated or a failure. I've got this. I've got you. And I am the true vine, and God is the vine dresser, or the vine grower. And it's talking about the actual goodness, and it's a foreshadowing of the gospel through the cross of Jesus Christ and through his resurrection. And it speaks, the vine grower of God speaks to the intricate detail of the one who knows his people and works on our behalf for the jewish people for the disciples that heard this teaching and for us tonight as 21st century disciples we get in touch with the goodness and love and the redeeming work of god the father through jesus christ and through his resurrection so that's the by, right off of the bat we look at a picture of the goodness and the gracious, graciousness of our god And then we come to play as we hear, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower, and then get ready, enter us, and you all are the branches. Now this morning, I I took full effect being outside on the riverbank, and I actually picked up a branch from the ground and said, this is what Jesus just called us, twigs, twigs. Last week, Joe, Joe preached in the, in the sermon, we are called sheep. And we are actually, and tonight, we are called twigs or branches. In the eight, I'm glad it didn't happen this morning. In the eight o'clock service, for effect, I took that branch or twig I was holding and I threw it, not thinking about we had a dog with us this morning. And i hoping hoping that dog didn't, or, you know, chase it. That didn't happen. and But it, just telling you for what, what happened this morning but we are twigs and as it says as it keeps opening up in John 15 we hear that as i threw that away as a visual that if you are taken away if you are separated as a branch or as a twig from the true vine in jesus that we are thrown away and that we are and that we can do nothing on our own and that we are taken up and collected and then we are thrown into the fire. Well, that sounds pretty negative, And you would think a positive is coming. But it seems to get a little confused as it says, well, if you remain in the true vine, we being the branches and twigs, that we can expect to be pruned. Now, if you're one who's ever done pruning of any sort, you know it's not, if, if the thing you're pruning can actually feel, it's not a very pleasant experience at least at first. Pruning involves breaking away or cutting away with, with a tool some dead wood or at the same time barely cutting into the live tissue and of course it is something that bear it's for the purpose of bearing more fruit later. You cut away these old things to make room for the new. Well spiritually speaking that is what it is for us to be pruned. And we hear that we're staying connected through the true vine. And it may be a painful experience when we hear that we are to be spiritually pruned by God. But it told, told us it is for the purposes of bearing more fruit and more fruit and then much fruit. It seems to be season after season, time after time, we are pruned And then it makes room in our lives for more of God's fruit to come. Now, what does that look like? Well, we hear a line in there that first starts, there's two S's, one being by scripture, by the word of God, as it says, as you have heard the word of God, you are already cleansed. And I wish it were that easy for all of us that we could read or hear scripture And that it could just change us and that we would not have to face adversity or trials or suffering in this life. But we all know that those seasons of life come in which the pruning happens. That scripture, it is a double-edged sword, as I borrow from the Apostle Paul in Hebrews, that of course the word of God for us is supposed to comfort the afflicted. But it cuts the other way. It is also supposed to afflict the comfortable. And as we find ourselves in a comfortable position, maybe something from within us, the own brokenness or suffering of the world or or a trigger around us brings us to a moment. To where God uses the pruning and the suffering in life as a moment of grace. For for that double-edged sword of the word of God to come in and then to, when we're in these seasons, going through and facing those really hard things, it never feels good. But as God pulls us through little by little in hindsight, we see how he had, had his caring hand as the vine grower on us all along. And this is the two, those two S's of what it means to be And I wanted to use a few kind of to paint uh, an idea and then to tell a profound message story of scripture in closing tonight. Why is it that when we recognize our own offense, instead of running to God, a lot of times we will hide or run away from God? Here's some real life examples of that. When I come home, you know, my my two sons are of the age where daddy's still a little bit cool. I know probably in in a few days that's going to change as they're growing way too fast. But when I come home, if things have gone well with mom during the day, they are normally opening up the garage door and running out, jumping with joy, just welcoming me home. But sometimes it happens that I'll arrive home and they won't show up. And then if I go inside and they're kind of hiding from me, I know what has happened. Mom has had to use the dreaded, you wait until your father gets home. As most parents have had to do. And of course, what does it do in them? They're so nervous when I'm coming home and what's going to happen. Instead of running to me, they're avoiding and they're running away. Another illustration as we, we all grow up, perhaps in your church life. Have you had a friend, someone that was very close to you, here at Church of Our Savior, maybe at another church. And whatever happened, something, you had conflict and it broke your relationship. Perhaps you came to a morning service, a 10 o'clock service in the morning, and you would always see that person there, but you can't stand each other now. And one person goes to the eight o'clock, and one person might be here tonight at the 530. Or perhaps the sight of that person hurts or angers you so much that one of you left the church never to reconcile with one another. Another grown-up, mature example of it happens to where instead of going to God or going to each other to seek forgiveness and reconciliation, we avoid it and we run the opposite way. But we have an illustration, as I told you in the beginning, what the context of this teaching was tonight. And as Jesus and the disciples would arrive into Gethsemane, as Judas would betray Jesus and as Jesus would be taken away, we go into the scene to where they are trying him to lead him to his, his uh, punishment and to, and to be hung on the cross. And we hear as they're gathered in, in, at that Monday Thursday meal, Jesus actually tells Peter, the head of all of the disciples, and says, you were going to betray me three times. And peter says no not me lord and he actually doubles down he says one of these other guys might betray you but not me and then jesus says actually when the alarm goes off or when that rooster crows you will have denied me three times this is where peter doubles down and actually says no even if i have to die i will not betray you but as they are at the trial a woman recognizes Peter and said, aren't you one of those that was with Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? And we have a first, no, I do not know that man. A second time, the same woman a little bit later recognizes him again. I I swear by your dialect, by you speaking, you are, you're not from here and you are one of his disciples. And Peter says, no, I do not know this man. And the third and final denial peter is obviously very vocal and loud and upset by having to say it a third time i do not know this man and he said it so loud that jesus turns and locks eyes with peter and peter's heart and his spirit are crushed and he talk about an opportunity For Peter to do the same thing we've talked about. He betrayed Jesus in his darkest hour. Can you imagine the guilt or shame that must have set in when that was happening? And he has the opportunity run away from God and avoid because he recognizes his guilt and his offense. But as we see how heart transformation and God pruning in our lives works out in the life of Peter. Well, Jesus has risen from the dead as we fast forward a little later. But before they actually know Jesus is back in the flesh, we hear that they, the disciples have just gone back to their routine. And there's a small group of them fishing. And this is in the 21st chapter of John. And we hear that from a distance, they see a resemblance of Jesus on the beach as they are out fishing After the resurrection. And there's Jesus in a fire. And some fish cooking. And Peter's like could it be. This is the opportunity. The heart change. He realizes he's the most guilty. Of all the disciples. Recognizing his own offense. But instead of running away from God. He runs to God. And before the disciples. Can even get the boat turned. Peter jumps in the sea. Swims to Jesus. And falls at his feet in a posture of recognizing the true vine and the care that jesus has and we and peter is restored in that moment no longer living into what he had done in the past and by no work of his own but seeing jesus and laying his life down and running to him recognizing his own offense he is wiped clean and from there, you can see what the rest of the transformed life and heart of Peter leads Peter and the rest of the disciples to. You see what that is the profound message for us all. That we, when we recognize our broken and sinful nature, that it, we, we have that opportunity, that we run away from God. But as Jesus is saying to the disciples, and he's talking to us right now, I am the true vine. And you don't have to buy your bootstraps in your own strength. Time after time, fail and be frustrated. But you must realize, just like the nation of Israel, just like the disciples, and even for us tonight, Jesus accomplished what we could not accomplish. And he is who we cannot be but the recognition of that sets us free to taste his the new identity that he brings to us all in our darkest moments even when we recognize the own offense that can be born out of our own hearts we got to realize instead of running away and being shameful and, and staying in that that kind of miserable existence just like Peter we can come recognizing the true vine and the care and love that God has for us. And we can fall and say, I'm exhausted. And Jesus doesn't just give us a, you know, a list of things to try to keep up a list of rules. What Jesus gives us is actually a living relationship, or as our metaphor tonight, we are connected to the vine as branches and because of that everything that jesus is and his identity and everything that he has done for us flows through that vine and into us and little by little that pruning happens but what takes the part of the stuff that we lay down is new fruit And with Jesus and that fruit that as we continue to be sanctified into his image and walking in our new transformed heart and identity as his disciples, the fruit that comes from him changes everything, continues to change us from the inside out. And then what God will do through us in that broken world simply by abiding. And being plugged into him, having that relationship with him. And that's our actual mission statement as a church is founded on this very principle. That church of our Savior exists to meet people wherever they are on their spiritual journey. To live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The vine, the branches, it is a divine, ever-living, ever-growing connection with Christ, and it changes everything for all of us. Oh, honor, praise, and glory be to the vine grower who makes this possible and bears much fruit in our lives. Amen.